Let's all stand together. We're going to lift up our voices as we sing Mansion Over the Hilltop. I'm satisfied with just the cottage
good to have each of you out for our evening service. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Ask that, George, would you open our service with prayer, please? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this time that we can be in your house. Lord, we're just thankful that we can all be gathered here. We ask that you bless the service in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Please be seated. Let's continue in singing the solid rock and then how deep the Father's love. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest friend, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When he shall come with trumpet sound. Righteousness of 
So I always introduce our speakers, and tonight our speaker is going to be Brother John Kaufman. Uh, Brother John's been with us a long time, and uh, the church has ordained him. He is uh, an ordained minister, and um, uh, we love him. We love him for the work he does, the ministry he has with music and working with the young people. And tonight we're going to be able to just listen to him preach. Thank you very much, Brother Tim. I appreciate that. Pastor Taylor. Okay, um, tonight we are going to be in um, uh, kind of all over the, uh, uh, the life of David. Um, we were studying for youth group and for the teen ministry, um, going through a lot of the life of David. We've gone through a good portion of it. And um, we haven't finished it quite yet because there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of information. We try to take a chapter a week. Um, but uh, tonight, really, we're going to be looking and focusing on uh, a heart for God. Um, and when I think of David, the Bible clearly says that he was a man after God's own heart. And so I kind of wanted to look at that. Well, what does that look like? What, is it, what does it entail to have uh, a heart after God? So if you would, take your Bibles. We're going to turn, first of all, to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. That's where we're going to be at the very beginning. We're going to be kind of flipping through a lot of passages of Scripture tonight. But first, we'll start with 1 Samuel chapter 16. What does it look like to have a heart for God, according to the life of David? David was called a man after God's own heart. And so what can we learn from the life of David about having a heart for God? Let's pray, and then we'll get into uh, our scripture passage tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, I pray that you'd please be with us now as we open up the word of God. I pray that as we look at the life of David and we think about having a heart for God, what does it look like? How can we learn from David to have a man, to be like a man after God's own heart? I pray that you'd help us to glean and learn from the scriptures what it is that you'd have us to see and to learn. I pray that you'd give me clarity of thought and direction, that uh, what scripture passage we read tonight, I'd be, up, uh, I'd be able to accurately represent that, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Four things we're going to look at tonight about um, having a heart for God. Number one, first thing I would just like to draw your attention to is that number one, we see from David that he had, first of all, a relationship with God. He first of all had a relationship with God. I like to take your uh, to take your attention and turn it to Saul, uh, Samuel chapter sixteen, First Samuel chapter sixteen, and verse number eleven. First Samuel chapter sixteen and verse number eleven. First of all, we see David having a heart for God, a relationship with Him. When God sent Samuel to anoint David to be king, where do we find David? We don't find him with the rest of his brothers parading through to be um, brought before Samuel to be looking for the next king. Uh, David has kind of been left off, you know, left out of the picture to do the job that he's doing. And we find that he's doing what? He's taking care of the sheep. So if you look at verse number 11, it says, Samuel said to Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. Um, <clears throat> I've never owned any sheep. I really don't plan on own, owning any sheep. But for those of you who have raised sheep and owned sheep, that I have been told that they're not very smelly, nice smelling animals. Correct? They kind of stink, right? 
Yeah, they have lots of hair. Um, you have to get them sheared. Or I guess you don't have to, but you probably should. Right, John? They can be. They can be, yeah. Sure, sure. So um, this was kind of one of those menial jobs, you know. Um, oftentimes, it's not uncommon for, for me to be up in the office and then for me to get a text that says, Pastor John, I'm really sorry to bother you with this, but the boys' bathroom is plugged. The boys' bathroom toilet is plugged. So can you please go down and fix it? And I'm on it. I go down there. Do I really like plunging toilets? You know, not really, especially when it's nice and fall. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's really not very pleasant, but it still needs to be done. And so David, his job was to take care of the sheep. And I think of it as being him being the youngest, him, him being the one that's kind of the most meaningless. Oh, I have, Jesse says, I've got one more son, uh, but he's taking care of the sheep. He's really, you know, he's the redhead. You know, he's really not, that, you know, he's out there taking care of the sheep. So, well, Samuel said, well, go get him. Go get him and bring him here. But I like to think of David out there taking care of the sheep. And we know that David was a musician. He, he played the harp very skillfully, we learn later on, as he uh, is in Saul's court, soothing him with, with, the, uh, with the harp there. And we don't know if, if David sings. He wrote many of the, of the psalms, and a lot of those psalms were, were put to music. Um, and it says that he danced before the Lord. So he was a musician, so I would like to think he probably sang. And as he's out there, you know, with the sheep and taking care of them, I'm sure he's spending time with God out there. He's maybe playing his harp as he's watching the sheep, you know, playing a little tune or singing along. How many of you, you ever mow the lawn or you weed whack or you do something where you think nobody can hear you and you're out there just singing away or maybe you're talking to yourself or maybe you're doing something and you think nobody can hear you and someone's watching you from the window or from the neighbor's property and they're like, what are they doing? When I was nine, I was mowing my lawn at my house. And that was my job. I was out there push mowing our little backyard in Mishawaka, Indiana. And I'm out there push mowing it and I'm talking to myself out there. I don't know why. I can't even remember the conversation. Probably a good thing that I don't remember the conversation. But I was talking to myself out there and I remember I finally finished mowing the lawn and my mom says, what are you talking to yourself out there about? Anything? Any, everything? I'm the only one who will listen to me so I might as well talk to myself, right? But I like to think that David is out there spending time with God and he's maybe singing to the Lord. Maybe he's playing, praying, but we know he's spending time with the Lord and we know that he has developed some kind of a relationship with God. Because if you turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and look at verse number 33 and following, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 33 and following, David is before Saul. Goliath has been down there um, cursing God, cursing the armies of God. David hears of this and says, I will fight this man. And verse 33 says, Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him for thou art but a youth and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Saul, let me tell you a story. Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered him. It delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. 
Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord hath delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear. He will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, go and the Lord be with thee. You see, David could never, David never could have had confidence in the Lord that this is what God not only was willing to do, but what God was able to do without ever having spent time with him. When you spend time with somebody, whether it's your wife, your husband, your children, your coworkers, your boss, you learn more about them and what they are capable of doing or what they can't do, what they're limited to do. And I think that David spent so much time with the Lord out there. He knew that if something came after the sheep that I was taking care of, God was going to give me the ability to save that one sheep out of the hand or the paw of the lion, out of the paw of the bear. A couple of years ago, I had... Um, uh, I have these little like outdoor cameras that um, catch, you know, like our cats doing funny things or people who come and knock on the door and, and whatnot. Um, one time I slipped on the step and so the camera caught it all. I mean, I face planted it and everything. And it was like one of those things that you wanted to post online and be like, you know, oh, make sure you watch where you're going. But one morning I woke up and I was, wa I was just looking at what kind of wildlife we had coming over the camera. And sure enough, there was a bear that had walked through our property, you know, and walked right in front of the camera, right between our cars and, you know, probably looking for food or something like that. And I mean, you look at the size of that thing. Now, I thought it was massive. I thought it was a massive bear. But I showed the bear hunter lady that camera, Phyllis Campbell, and she says, oh, that's just a little thing. And I thought, <laughs> I do not want to be out there and come in contact with that little bear, <laughs> whether it was little or not. Just a few weeks ago, I, I, I woke up and went out to, we keep our trash cans out by our garage. I should probably keep them inside of the garage, but I had it outside the garage. And I noticed, and I had, I bungee strapped the lids every once in a while because it's not uncommon for like raccoons or something to get inside of there and pull the trash out and shred the bag. And then there's trash all over the place, right? Well, there was, there was muddy marks all over the top of it. It couldn't get it open because I had it bungeed closed, but there was muddy marks all over it. And I mean, I couldn't tell like how big or the paws were or whatever, but I wondered, well, what would have done that to try to get in there for food? You know, maybe it was raccoons. Maybe it was a bear. I don't know. Maybe if it was a bear, it might have probably torn that thing. I don't know. But anyways, I do not, all that to say, I do not want to... I have cats that roam around outside. If the bear's gonna go after my cat, I'm sorry, Hannah. I'm sorry, the kids. That cat's dying. I ain't going after it. I am not risking my life to go and save the one cat. I'll buy another one. Or I'll go to the local farm and grab another one off the farm. I don't know. I'm not gonna risk my life. But David, on the other hand, she, she might be storming in here in just a minute and coming after me, I don't know. But David, on the other hand, taking care of the sheep, he said, no, I'm going to protect the life of that sheep. And he knew that God was going to be with him. You see, the relationship he had with God was so, he was so in tune with the Lord. He knew what God was going to be able to do for him. And that translated over into him challenging and as we know, ultimately defeating Goliath. And, and we're going to get there in a little bit. I don't want to jump the gun, but 
This kind of confidence in knowing that God not just could, but would deliver him from Goliath only comes from spending time with God. And not just spending time with God to know about him, but, know, but knowing what God is capable of doing for him <clears throat> and for you. You know if your relationship with the Lord is where it should be, spending time with God, having a heart for God. You know what God can do for you because you've seen him do it. You've experienced it in your life. You've maybe seen it in someone else's life. And you know God can do this. God is all-powerful. But not only did he spend time with um, uh, God out taking care of the sheep, but he also spent time with God while he was on the run from Saul. If you'll turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 1 down through 7. It says, And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines, that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats by the way where was a cave and Saul went in to cover his feet and David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily, and it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. Now, now just pause here for just a second because David has been um, on the run for a little while at this time. Saul has pursued after him for a little while and not once, not twice, but three times Saul has tried to take David's life by throwing his spear at him in his, in his uh, you know, throne room, in his courtyard or, or, or in the room where David was. Three times Saul has tried to kill him by throwing his spear. And it says that Saul would say, I will pin him to the wall with my spear. I mean, uh, I was re reading and doing research, and, and, and in those days, the spear was like the scepter, you know, the king's scepter, and so it was, very, it was a very valuable thing, and, you know, he always went with it, and every, every time you see the account of Saul, not always, but most of the time, it references the spear. Um, when David is, pursu is fleeing from Saul, and, and Saul and Joab are laying in the valley, and there's all of Saul's people around him, it references that Saul's spear is stuck in the ground next to his head, and David and Abishai come up upon Saul and they see him laying there and David goes and takes his cruise of water and his spear. So anyways, it references the spear many times and Saul three times tried to take David's life with throwing the spear at David and each time David slipped out of the way or God made it so that David's life was not taken from him. And David's people wrongfully speak to David and say, today is the day that the Lord has spoken of. Because nowhere in the Bible did it ever say that God would deliver Saul into David's hand. The men of David have jumped the gun and have said, today's the day that God has spoken and delivered the king. Take his life. And David said, how can I lift my hand against the Lord's anointed? 
I, I mean, like, I struggle with this because I, if it were me and I had someone pursuing after me and I knew that if Saul caught me in that cave, he would not hesitate to take my life. Boy, I really struggle. Is if that were me, I would want to take the advantage. And if my buddies alongside of me are like, today's the day, take his life. I would feel like I am justified in taking the life of the, of the person who is trying to, to take my life. But David has a different relationship with the Lord and with Saul. And he says, I cannot lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. I cannot do it. And so, again, this only comes from David knowing that God would, in his time allow David to be the next king of Israel because Samuel had already anointed David to be the next king of Israel. He had already done that. He had already told David he was going to be the next king of Israel. David knew it was going to happen. So David had confidence in his Lord that God will make this day come to pass. And I don't have to do this right now. Oftentimes, David would say, Saul, what have I done? Why are you pursuing after me? What have I done? There's no evil in my hand. I could have taken your life, but I didn't. Now know that there is no evil in my hand. And Saul would always say, oh, I repent of what I've done. David, David, is this your voice, my son? I repent. And then go on in his way. And then a few months would go by or however much time would go by. And Saul would get all upset again. And he'd pursue again after David to try to take his own life. And David would come this close. Like I mentioned to you, he took his spear in the cruise of water that was laying by Saul's head and brought it out. And then from the top of the hill, he cried out, Saul and Joab, could you not protect your king, look at how close I came. And Saul said, David, is this your voice, my son? And David's like, I've not done anything wrong. All of this to just say that it was very tempting, in, in my opinion, personally for me, to, to jump the gun and take that day, take Saul's life like that. But not David, not David. He had had a relationship with the Lord and knew that it was not time. Interestingly enough, keep your finger in Psalms in, in Samuel chapter 24 and turn over to Psalm 63, if you would turn over to Psalm 63. Psalm 63, some of you underneath the chapter of Psalm 63, there will be a little, a little um, statement under there. And uh, mine says a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Um, it is it is believed that this was written at the same time that Saul was pursuing after David in the wilderness of Engedi in, in that area. And so so David writes this psalm. Read this psalm, knowing where David is in his life, that Saul is pursuing after him, and knowing that that story, that account that we just read. Now read this psalm. O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. 
Thy right hand upholdeth me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. But the king shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. So again, we see the relationship that, that David had with his Lord. So he had, we see his relationship while he was taking care of the sheep. We see his relationship even while he was on the run from Saul. But not only can we learn from David that a heart for God is, number one, having a relationship with him. But number two, David also fought for his God. David's heart was a heart that fought for God. Number two, he fought for the Lord when it came to Goliath. Turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. You know the account. You know the story. We won't, we won't spend a lot of time here. But David has come by by command of his father to go and look uh, how his brothers are faring in the battle. To bring them cheese and food and, and to see how they're doing and bring word back to Jesse. Because he's concerned for his, for his sons. And as David comes and approaches the camp, he hears this giant in the valley of Elah spewing out hatred and and, and evil sayings and mocking the God of Israel. And wow, this bothers David. And David's not just going to sit by and let nothing happen. He's going to take care of it. He's going to take care of business. He doesn't care how tall or how big that guy is. And Goliath was a big man. Goliath was about nine feet. And it's all over the place. But at least nine feet and plus some odd inches tall. The Bible, um, some of the things that I was studying talked about that just, just the coat of mail that he wore over him as his, you know, as his uh, shield, not the shield, but the, you know, the coat of mail that he wore was the weight of an average man, 180 pounds. So he was carrying around the average weight of a, of a man on him constantly. He's a big dude. And I remember um, playing basketball when I was in high school. And I am not a big guy. I'm tall, but I've never been big. And whenever I was in high school, I was even smaller than I am now. And we were playing basketball against this team. <clears throat> I don't even remember where they were from, but they were, they were, you know, I mean, they were good. They were good. I mean, let's just say that the final score was like 100 to 10. Okay, so they were, they were pretty good. <laughs> And I remember I was, you know, this is so embarrassing. But anyways, I, I am running down the court and I'm fast. And so I'm running as fast as I can because I don't have any weight to me. So I'm running as fast as I can. And I turned around. I didn't even see the guy standing there. And he just stood there like this. I didn't even see him. And I turned and I ran as fast as I could. Bam! Right into him. He didn't move. I slammed into him. And I mean, the wind knocked out of me and everything. I just went <gasps> like this. And I thought, and I even looked at the coach and I was like, I gotta go out. You know, I couldn't move. I can't imagine what it was like for David to approach Goliath. I mean, David is, I don't know, five foot something. And, you know, he's a good looking guy. He's got pretty eyes. You know, he's got red hair, you know, but yet 
he was going to fight for his Lord. He was going to fight for his God. How dare anyone defy the armies of the living God? And so David was ready and willing to fight. His heart was for Israel. His heart was for God. And there was no way he was going to let this pagan warrior spew his mouth and defy his country and his God. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Satan is out there trying to fight and get us, fighting for our lives, fighting for our relationship with God. You know, I, I, I read something somewhere that said that um, uh, when, when lions roar, there's something about the decibel at which they roar that a lot of their prey, when they roar as loud as they can, there's something about the decibel that actually paralyzes their prey for a short period of time. It's that fear that they can strike into that which they are going after. And I think about this phrase where it says, as a roaring lion, the devil walks around seeking whom he may devour. He's trying not only just to devour you, but to put fear in you. And so David says, I'm going to fight for God. We better be ready for a fight. You know, that's not always, we, we, we often, you know, in, in, in the Christian realm, we often talk about, you know, loving the lost and loving those. And we do, we do need to do that, but we've also got to be ready for a fight, right? There, what's most important to you is what you fight for the hardest, Right? What's most important for, to you is what you fight for the hardest. So if your relationship with the Lord is most important to you, then you will fight for your relationship with the Lord. If it's not that important to you, then you won't. You won't fight for it. So we learn from David's life that a heart for God was having a relationship with him, fighting for him. And then number three, if you will, reconciling with God reconciling with God or forgiveness of sins. What about the times when we do mess up? What about the times when we fall, when we fail, when we do something stupid and we know we shouldn't have done that? Or when we don't do something that we should have done and we know we should have done what God wanted us to do or, or whatever the case is there. What does a heart for God look like when something like that happens? Reconciling to God, reconciling for God. Well, if you'll turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse number one and reading through came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem and it came to pass in an evening time that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman, and one said, David, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eli, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? It's almost like someone was trying to say, mm, David, what are you doing? You know, like, mm, I don't think you should be doing this, David. Verse 4, and David sent messengers. He didn't care. He still sent messengers and took her. And she came in unto him, and he lay with her, for she was purified from her uncleanness, and she returned unto her house. And the woman conceived, and sent and told David, and said, Guess what? I'm with child. And David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. 
Joab sent Uriah to David, and when Uriah was come unto, unto him, David demanded of him how Joab did, and how the people did, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to thy house and wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house, and there followed him, I love this phrase, a mess of meat from the king, right? <laughs> a mess of meat. One time we were on a missions trip to, I think it was Paraguay. Is that where, when we stopped at that one restaurant and they came out with the, the swords with all the like different kinds of meat on there and they would shave off whatever you wanted, you know? It was really cool. It was these really long, and these guys were really good too. They like, you know, they would just like, ping, 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 you know, and like these shaves of meat would come off. Anything you wanted, it was really cool. Um, so when I think about this phrase, a mess of meat, that's what I think of, like, just all the meat you could want, you know? Like, you know, you know, like when you have the burgers and the hot dogs and the bratwurst and the chicken and the steaks all in one meal, it's like the best thing in the world, right? And you try everything, all of, or maybe you eat all of it, you know, at least some of it. Anyways, so as a, it says a mess, verse eight, a mess of meat followed him from the king. And it was the king's food. So you know it was good, right? It was like Wagyu steak, you know, right? Anybody know what that is? Yeah. Wagyu steak, yeah, yeah. Okay, but Uriah, verse nine, slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying Uriah went not down into his house, David said unto Uriah, camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down unto thine house? Uriah, aren't you tired? Don't you wanna go be with your wife? Verse 11, and Uriah said unto David, the ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as thou livest and as thy soul liveth? I will not do this thing. And David said to Uriah, tarry here today also and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow and when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. And it came to pass... When Joab observed the city, that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab. And there fell some of the people of the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. Okay, let's pause there. So you have David, Bathsheba, and the husband of Bathsheba, Uriah. And you see Uriah's righteousness. I mean, he, he in all of this, was not going to do what he felt like he shouldn't do. How could he go and have a good time at his house, eat good food, drink good wine, and, and be with his wife while all of his people, the, the servants, are all fighting, living in tents, and even, the, he says, the ark, and Israel is all living in tents, and, and, and in battle, how can I do this thing? And David's trying to cover up his sin. David's trying to cover his fault. I find it so interesting because it's the same thing with you and I. When we try to cover up our sin, oh man, it's just like spinning a web of lies and trying to like continue to cover up that lie. And then, well, that one, well, well, that didn't come to pass. You know, someone found that out. Now I've got to cover up that lie to cover up that lie. And there was a guy at our church back in Indiana and 
Um, he, his name was Chris, and he was a good guy, but he just had a problem with, with lying all the time. He always wanted to, to, you know, to talk about stuff that he, that he did that he thought would make him look cool in front of other people. And I remember this one time, me and some of my friends, we were talking with Chris, and he was quite a bit older than us. Not like, you know, he was probably about five, six, seven years older than us, and we were, we were pretty young teenagers, but he was talking, and you could tell he was lying, and, and my buddy caught him in the lie and said, oh, but I thought you just said you did this, and you could see his, you know... He could see his face and everything. And it, it's like that spin in the lies. You have to cover this lie to cover that lie. And David's trying to cover his tracks and his sin. And then finally, he doesn't know what else to do except to write a letter to, your, to, to Joab and send it by the hand of the person he's trying to kill, knowing that Uriah wasn't going to open the letter. You know... Sometimes we, so there, were, there, there was this, there, there was a, a group of, a group of people that we had come and do something for us here at the church a, a while ago, um, a neighborhood Bible time. Remember that Pastor Taylor neighborhood Bible time. And we had to write a letter of, um, uh, evaluation uh, over, over what, um, how they did while they were here and stuff like that. It's, you know, same thing like when you're, you know, in college and you preach and stuff like that. They have to, you know, uh, you know, say, okay, well, you, you, you said um too many times or you went like too many times or you spit too much and the person in the front row is covered and spit and you need to hold that back or you put your hands in your pocket, et cetera, et cetera. So um, I know, so, so Pastor Taylor wrote a letter of evaluation um, and, and we put it in an envelope and gave it to them. And, um, and I went upstairs to, to discuss something with them. And I noticed that one of them was reading the letter of evaluation. And I thought, they're not supposed to do that. That's supposed to be for their superior, right? I would think so. I would think so too. <laughs> All that to just say, he knew, David knew Uriah wasn't going to get so, he didn't, you know, like, I'm holding the letter of the king. What does it say? Trying to look it up at the light, see if he can read it through the light, you know, or maybe put a flame underneath it to see if he can read it. You know, he knew, he knew Uriah was so righteous that he wasn't going to open it. And it was his own death letter by his own hand. David wrote a death letter, gave it to Uriah. Uriah gave Uriah's own death letter to Joab and knew well, he, he trusted in his king, and yet he didn't know that his life was on the line. And Joab, Joab did this, and et cetera, et cetera. So, so we see the sin of David, but what we're talking about really is reconciling. So, so let's jump a little bit ahead. Let's jump a little bit ahead. Go to chapter 12 and verse number 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drink of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but instead took the poor man's lamb. And dressed it for the man that was come to him. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Okay, pause there. Because this is David 
And Nathan the prophet is coming to David and he's using a story that is going to connect with David. Because when we see David at the very beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 17, where do we find David doing what? He's taking care of the the sheep. He is a shepherd. He's taking care of the animals. God knows David. God knows David's heart. God knows what to use to get David to understand what he did. And so he gives Nathan, the prophet, the story of the little ewe lamb. Well, David connects with that. I mean, right? He took care of flocks. He took care of sheep when he was young. That was his life for a long time. He loved those things. Why else would he go and try to beat that bear and beat that lion? I mean, he, he loved those things. So when Nathan, the prophet, came and said, there was a poor man and there was a rich man. The rich man had lots of flocks and lots of things and all kinds of money. But the poor man only had one little ewe lamb and loved that little ewe lamb. Oh, it was such a little cute little thing, you know, and, and I loved it so much. And the rich man and the poor man, okay, we know what they have. And there was a traveler that came by. And it wasn't uncommon for a traveler to knock on someone's door and say, I'm hungry. Do you have any food to spare for me? And the rich man was like take any of mine that I have. Let me, let me get the poor guy's lamb. It goes over and snatches it, steals it, kills it, and gives it to the traveler to eat. Well, David is angered by this because he knows the price of one lamb, right? So it angers him. And he says, the man shall surely die. Or, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Verse 7. And Nathan said to David, thou art the man. You ever been called out by your sin? Or when you did something wrong, someone called you out and it was like the pit in your stomach. Just, you know, you're like, you're right. I'm wrong. He goes on to say, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. And hast taken his wife to be thy wife, and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from thine house, because thou hast despised me, and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes, and give them unto thy neighbor. And he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son, which later in scripture did happen. Verse 12, for thou did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. And David said unto Nathan, this is where we see the reconciliation. I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, the Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because of, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. The child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. And Nathan departed unto his house, and the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David, and it was very sick. And David therefore besought God for the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. So when we see this, we see David's heart. I mean, I often think about like, how 
how could how could the Bible still record? Because the Bible still records, even in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13 and verse 22 says that when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my law. I often think, how could this man who committed adultery, who killed somebody, committed murder, and did all those things, how could he still be considered a man after God's own heart? And when we see David's heart, we see that he reconciled with his God. When he, when he was called out, when he had sin, he knew what to do. He said, I am not gonna try to, I'm not going to try to cover it anymore. I'm going to own up to my sin. I'm going to fess up to it. And I'm going to ask God to forgive me of my sins. Uh, previous chapters before, David comes to this point in his life where he says to Joab, go and number all of the children of Israel. I, I want to know how many people are, are in my company or in my camp. And Joab says, David, I don't think you should do this. I, I, don't, I don't think this is a good idea. And David says, no, what I say goes, go and number them all. And, and Joab goes throughout all of his people and numbers all of the people. And then it comes back to him and gives him the sum. And it bothered God. It, it, it upset God that David did that to make, to, to lift David's own self up. And, and so God sent a, he, he sent a, um, um, I think it was a pestilence upon the people and and he said to David I will give you a couple of options I will either give you into the hand of your enemies or I will send pestilence upon you and David said no I would rather go into the hand of God because who knows if God would be willing and more gracious to forgive than the hand of man you see David knew God would forgive if he would go and ask for forgiveness and so David's heart was ready to reconcile. You know what it's like when you have wronged somebody or when somebody's wronged you and they come to you and they ask for forgiveness or you go and you ask for forgiveness and say, hey, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. Man, the, the, the connection that's rebuilt there, you know, the, 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 the restoration, the reconciliation of the relationship is, is sweet. It's joyful. It's like you and your wife or you and your children or you and your husband or, or whatever. When you reconcile that relationship, it's a sweet, joyful relationship. Once you say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And so David, we see his heart for God is that he reconciled. And then one last thing with, with the remaining time that we have. Number one, we learned from, God, from David that a heart for God was number one, having a relationship with him. Number two, it was fighting for him. Number three, it was reconciling with him. And then we see number four, he taught others to love, serve, and live for God. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. 1 Chronicles chapter 28 and verse 9. David is at the end of his life. He is an old man at this time. Solomon is going to be the next king. His son Solomon, who is a child of David and Bathsheba, is going to be the next king of Israel. And David has a few last words to say to, to Solomon before he leaves this earth. And he says, verse 9, And thou, Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father, and serve him with a perfect heart, and with a willing mind. For the Lord searcheth all hearts, and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, 
he will cast thee off forever. David, from his vast experience in serving God and writing psalms, fleeing from Saul for his very life, reigning as king, only to see the kingdom be taken away from him by his own son, Absalom, to then going into the wilderness for a time where he was for so long when he was running from Saul, then coming back to be king, instructs the next king, the heir to the throne, his own son, Solomon, to know God. And not to just make God the God that dad serves, but make him your God. He says, thou Solomon, my son, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart. The most important thing that David could do with the last remaining time of his life was to bestow upon his son, the next king, the type of heart he should have before the Lord. He says, serve him with a perfect heart. The word for perfect has this idea. It has the idea of complete, full, just, peaceable, quiet, or whole. Again, it's the idea that David is instructing him here to serve God with a heart that isn't just doing it because dad says so, but doing it because it's what I want to do. And I love God. A right, perfect heart. And it's interesting. He says, for the Lord searcheth all the hearts, right? We, we know in the book of Psalms that David wrote, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. I'm paraphrasing, but you know the, you know the passage of scripture there. And so David knew the importance of the heart. And then he says, he searcheth the hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. And he told him, serve him with a willing mind. The word for the willing mind has the idea of delighting in, having desire towards, favor in, pleasing and taking pleasure in. He's instructing Solomon to serve God with a mind that takes pleasure or delights to do God's will and God's work. Why does he say this, though? Because he says, the Lord knows your heart. Like, don't try to hide it, right? You know, don't, don't, try, to, don't try to hide your heart. Solomon, don't try to hide your heart from God. God can see the hearts. He knows them. He understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. But if you seek him, he will be found of thee. But if you cast him, if you forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. He encourages him by saying this. And then he says... We can learn that God seeks the hearts. So serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. So wrapping it all up, we can learn from David that a heart for God, number one, includes a relationship with him. Number two, it fights for him. Number three, it reconciles with him when we mess up. And number four, it teaches others to live, love, and serve him. It's the greatest thing that those of us who have children or who, who want to make um, a difference in those underneath us, those younger than us, the greatest thing that we can ever teach them is how to live for God. It's the greatest thing we can ever teach, teach them is how to live for God. And so David is instructing Solomon here how to live for God. So as we wrap it up, having a heart from God, there's so many other things we could, we could see from the life of David. But just a few things to bring out tonight about the life of David and having a heart for God. So let's close in prayer and then we'll be dismissed for tonight. Father, thank you for this evening that you've given to us. Please be with us as we go from this place and as we uh, serve you through the week, as we 
as we go to our jobs, as we go to our homes and our families and all that we do, I pray that we would have a heart that, that wants to seek after you, to follow after you. I pray that we would strive to be like David, uh, having a relationship with you, desiring to know you more, uh, desiring to fight for you and for our relationship with you, desiring to reconcile with you when we mess up and when we make mistakes and when we sin, and then striving to teach others about how to have a heart for God. Lord, please be with us and help us to do all that we can to glorify your name this week. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.